Open up your Bibles to Proverbs 27. Then we'll go to Galatians chapter 2 and I'll preach out of that. Proverbs 27. Verse 5 and 6. rebuke than hidden love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, profuse are the kisses of an enemy. I will read verse 5 again. Better is an open rebuke than hidden love. Go to Galatians chapter 2. I'll read 1 to 14 and I'll stay there. Verses 1 to 14 speak about two encounters the Apostle Paul had with the Apostles Peter, James, and John, and then with the Apostle Peter. These are two different scenarios. Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. I went up because of a revelation that was set before them, though privately before those who seemed influential. The gospel that I proclaimed among the Gentiles, in order to make sure I was not running or had run in vain. But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. Yet because of false brothers secretly brought in, who who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus, so that they might bring us into slavery. To them we did not yield in submission, even for a moment, so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. And from those who seem to be influential, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Those, I say, who seem influential influential, added nothing to me. On the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, for he who worked through Peter in his apostolic ministry to the circumcised worked also through me for mine to the Gentiles. But when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me, that we should go to the Gentiles, that they would be, go to the Gentiles, and they to be to the circumcised. Only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face, because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him. So that even Barnabas, my best friend, was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas in front of them all, If you... Though a Jew live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force these Gentiles to live like Jews? That is an open rebuke, not hidden love. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Father, that your word is always searching our hearts, always searching to strengthen us, to give us your attributes of grace and love and gentleness and kindness, O God, and steadfastness and faithfulness. 
and also exposing us, God, to the still blind spots in our own life. Those areas that we fail, God, that sometimes we don't listen to you and we just keep on going forward and going forward until we need an open rebuke, Father. Father God, help us to understand this text. Help us to understand this truth that open love is better. An open rebuke is better than hidden love, Father, in Christ's precious name. Amen. Last week I opened up with uh, doing some teaching on friendship, biblical friendship. What does it mean to be a Christian? And to be friends with other Christians, but also what does it mean to be a friend in general? Do I treat my Christian friends different than I would treat my my neighbors or, or, or my family members or my co-workers or friends that I grew up with? Is there a difference? There's a slight difference, but not much of a difference. And we spoke about uh, the wounds of a friend. We spoke about constructive criticism, how life is generally needed at times to be infringed upon. And as friends, we have the right to infringe upon one another at certain times strategically and to bring up a kind rebuke, a, a rebuke that stops you dead in your tracks and say, you need to think about this. You need to think about this behavior or this flaw in your personality. Uh, I shared last week as a pastor, when it comes to dealing with sin in another person's life, that's not that difficult. It's, it's uncomfortable, but it's not that difficult because you open up the Bible and it's self-evident. You can go to 20 or 30 different texts and say, listen, you're doing this, and listen to what Paul says, listen to what, J- listen to what Jesus says. But when you're dealing with personalities, and you got someone's got a cutting personality, it's not so much sinful, but it could be jealousy, it could be a self-righteous tone to it, it could be many different things. You know, when you have to bring that to someone's attention, it could be very troublesome. But as I shared last week, there are times we have to do that. We have to have an open rebuke. We've got to rebuke somebody for their behavior or personality, their blind spots that are offensive. Self-righteousness, and we spoke about it last week, boasting about one's own accomplishments. You know, after a while, that's offensive. And I don't want to hear about you all the time. You know, get involved. This world doesn't wrap around you. It wraps around God first and other people second, you know. And somewhere you come in third or fourth, you know, before you start elevating yourself. So we spoke about a couple of things. How uh, the wounds of a friend, how constructive criticism is a very real dynamic in genuine friendships. And a genuine friendship, sooner or later, has to come face to face with an open rebuke. Sooner or later, the friendship is going to be tested. And I shared how, uh, you know, there are times as a pastor, my, my relationship with one of God's people will be tested when I have to bring something to someone's attention, whether it's sin or a personality flaw, and say, listen, that's a test of our relationship. Are they going to respect me as a pastor of God's sheep? Are they going to respect me as an elder? Are they going to respect the, respect the authority I have? And I can tell you, there's several times... More than several times, I spoke to people I led to the Lord. Led them to the Lord. I, I, I water baptized them. They, 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 they understood forgiveness and they enjoyed God. And I don't have to speak to them over a certain event in their life or a certain character flaw or a certain sin. And they didn't receive it. And they treated me like I was the enemy. Does that sound familiar? You know who they treated like the enemy? And guess who before him? Not Jesus, but Moses. Remember when Moses was straightening them out? They wanted to go back to Egypt. Who made you boss over us? We're going back to Egypt. We don't want to be out here in the wilderness. And so I've experienced that, but I've also experienced a rebuke received. 
A rebuke goes deeper into a man of understanding than a hundred blows into a fool, the book of Proverbs says. When you bring the correction to somebody for the right reason and they receive it, sometimes with tears in their eyes, that is a bonding element. That's a relationship that has stood the test. And it's sweet. And all genuine friendships have to have that. Because if I'm a genuine friend and I see a, a pink elephant in your life and I'm not telling you, listen, you got a personality flaw. You're self-righteous and you're turning everybody off. I mean, I have a right to tell somebody that. You have a right to tell me that. That is so important. So a genuine friendship that goes past superficiality, a lot of friendships are just superficial. You know, we just huck it up and we talk about the same commonalities, but we never speak about one deep issue. That, that, that's old for me. That gets old with like 15 minutes. I like deep things. I like deep friendships. And so to have that, there are times in our friendships that we have to challenge each other. Amen? As iron sharpens iron, so does one man sharpen another. Or better, one friend sharpens another. That's what it means in Hebrew. I chose this text tonight because this is what's happening. There's a showdown between the apostle to the Jews, Peter, Cephas is his real name, and the apostle to the Gentiles, Paul. This is, this is, this is a, a tale of the tape. In this corner is Peter. In this corner is Paul. These are two titans in the Christian community. And the last thing Peter would thought he was ever going to hear was Paul get up in front of everybody and rebuke him. And that, that's, that's powerful stuff. But what we're seeing here is, is 27, Proverbs 27.5 that an open rebuke is better than hidden love. It's necessary. You need it. I need it. Husband and wives need it. Friends need it. Brothers and sisters in Christ need it. A church can need it at times. A community can need it. Whatever it is, we cannot shy away from this. And as we read in our story in Galatians, if uh, we might go to it again, I don't know. Prayerfully read it again tonight. We see this great showdown between the Apostle Paul and Peter. But it's not a showdown between the Apostle Paul and Peter. It's a showdown between Peter and the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's something at stake here. We don't just go around rebuking people because we don't like what they're doing. There's got to be a greater cause than my personal feelings. Are you with me? We don't go around correcting everybody because my feelings will hurt so I'm going to tell them a thing or two. There's a proper time to bring correction. A strategic time to bring this kind of open rebuke that can bring shame with it for the sake of restoration. Okay, guys? So let's not miss that. So let's go to, uh, what do they speak about? Okay. I want to start off with a story of an open rebuke. I was 1990, I came to Christ. And after coming to Christ, after coming to church for about four, five, six weeks, uh, there was an invitation to accept Jesus. All right, And I can remember, I felt like, even though it was 300 people in the room, I felt like that message was just for me. And I can remember walking up. But there was a lot of people walking up when we accepted Christ. I gave my life to Christ that day. And my best friend who was with me, he came up next to me. He gave his life to Christ. He was a good friend of mine. He took my karate class. I was teaching karate at the time. And and we really got along, and for like the first year, we would spend so much time together. We go to church together, we train together, we hang out together. But after about a year, I realized he's not changing. 
I'm all about change. I'm really in love with Christ. I don't want to cuss no more. I don't want to do all these other things I used to do with the guys. That's over with. But every time I was with him, guess what? It brought out the worst of me. And I had to go home and repent. And I had to go home and cry and ask God. To... Then the day came. We were in the car after a karate class. And it was like breaking up with a girl. <laughs> it was so awkward. <laughs> and I looked at him and I said, listen, Mike, you know I love you. But I can't hang out with you no more. I said, every time I'm with you, just I, I, I'm acting like I used to before Jesus came into my life. And, and, and he basically hung his head in shame and said, I understand. So our relationship was over. Legitimate. You know, he stopped coming to karate. I didn't see him much. And only God can do this. That stuck in his heart. And then I remember he moved out to Arizona, and I went there to visit him, and nothing changed. And I couldn't wait to get out of that room. I couldn't wait to get home. And uh, so I came home, and, and about four years later, he called me up and says, Brian, I'm born again. And I knew on the phone it was real. The next week I was out there. I wanted to see the church. I wonder who these people were. Generally converted about 18 years ago now, maybe longer, has not stopped walking with the Lord. He is so right on with Christ. He is my best friend. He is saved, filled with the Spirit. He has not stopped serving Christ ever since then. He's got a wonderful wife, a wonderful daughter. They're all walking in the faith. And he, he always contributes of how I called him out that day. And as hard as that was, that was a turning point in his heart. He knew he had to get right with God. And uh, so anyway, there are times in our life we have to do that at the cost of a friendship. But it was more than just my own personal feelings. This is his soul was at stake. Let me go to our text. Let me talk about what's going on in this letter. Paul's letter to the Galatians is a defense of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul is defending in these five, in these six chapters that salvation is by sheer grace in Jesus Christ and nothing else. That is the, that is the, the gist of the book of Galatians. Sheer grace, no additives at all, no circumcision, no law keeping, no Moses, no Old Testament. It is just plain faith in Christ's atonement on the cross that gives somebody salvation and redemption. That is it. But quickly after Paul's successful ministry to the Gentiles, the Gentile world began these so-called brothers that would follow Paul around and wherever Paul went and had converts, they would follow him around and say, you know something, you still need to be circumcised to be a genuine Christian. That's an additive. That's a little bit extra. Paul called them in verse 4, false brothers. To prove his point to his hearers who were listening to him in this book about these false brothers and entertaining their heretical teaching, Paul gives two historical accounts to make a point to prove that circumcision or any kind of law keeping is not in line with the gospel. He gives two accounts. The first account happened when Paul was visiting Jerusalem after about 15 years of his conversion and he was discussing theology with uh, about salvation in Jesus only. And Titus was with him. And he's discussing this account with Peter, James, 
and his brother John. While he was there speaking to, to these pillars of the faith, these church leaders, Peter, James, and John, their leaders did not expect Titus at all to be circumcised. That's why Paul said, Titus, who was a Greek, was not compelled to be circumcised. Peter was in hearty agreement with this gospel truth of Paul. Of course he was. He was saved by himself. But sometime later, Peter came into, from Jerusalem to a place called Antioch. That's Paul's home ground. That's Paul's jurisdiction. Paul ministered there as a local pastor for 12 years. And for 12 years, Paul taught this church, along with Barnabas, that salvation is only through Christ. That you become a friend of God through Jesus Christ and nothing else. At all. And while Peter came down to see what was going on in Antioch, while he was there, he ate, and he fellowshiped, and he hung out with the Gentiles. This was a sweet fellowship. This is Apis. Peter was coming down to the local church of nowhere, and he was eating, and he was fellowshipping with these people that did not look like him, talk like him, dress like him, eat like him, or they didn't worship like they worshipped in Jerusalem. They worshipped different. They worshipped the same God. But it was not in any way formal as it was in Jerusalem. When Peter was there, he was at home with them. And they were encouraged. But then all of a sudden, some other men came down from James. These men were more Jewish on the outside. What they were on the inside, we're not sure. But they were strongly Jewish and acted like Jewish elitist snobs. I don't want you to miss that. That's important for everyone in this room to know that. They were elitist. And they judged the Antiochian church. The way they looked, the way they dressed, the way they talked, the way they smelled, the way they worshipped. And they, they hung out in a different part of the church. And guess who went out and hung out with them? Peter, the apostle, for fear of man, Paul says. Now you might not think this is, you might not think this is just sort of like two apostles going at it. This, the whole gospel relies on this. The apostle Peter, for one moment, was with them, and then the next moment, when other people came from Jerusalem, he turned aloof and like a hypocrite. He turned their back on them and became a snob, an elitist snob who wanted nothing to do with these men and women. So bad was Peter's hypocrisy that it says others were following him. And not just others, he goes to say, even Barnabas. Barnabas and Paul fathered this church for over 12 years. Barnabas was Paul's right-hand man. To me, as a Christian, and as a pastor, when I think about this, and you think, how in the world could they have ever fallen into this? But to think, wherever Peter went, other people went. But Peter had a flaw. He was afraid of men. 
And this fear of these people that came from James gripped him. And it gripped everybody else into the hypocrisy. And there they were. They were fellowshipping and hucking it up on the expense of the, uh, 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 of the church at Antioch. And it's right there, right in the middle, that Paul stood up and faced them eyeball to eyeball and pointed his finger at him and says, Peter, you're a hypocrite. Make no mistake about it. You're acting contrary to the gospel. And Paul was emboldened by this from this very one truth. He was not straightforward with the truth of the gospel. Let me tell you something. There's a time to fight. And when someone's not straightforward with the gospel, that's a time for anybody to stand up and say you're not being right with the truth. That's not the way you're saved. You're not saved through penance. You're not saved through this. You're not saved through that. You're saved only one way. You have to repent and follow Christ. If it's your mother, you got to tell her. If it's your father, your wife, your husband, you have to tell them. Your aunt and uncle, you have to tell them. No matter who it is. If it's the Pope himself, if, if it's any Protestant minister, anybody, Paul says this, that even I or an angel from heaven would preach a different gospel, let them be accursed. Anybody who would preach a contrary gospel to Jesus Christ to be saved should be accursed. That's what Paul said. And guess who was doing it? Peter. Not in word. In action. His life was not living up to what he taught. Paul says, you a Jew. Who was saved by Gentiles. Now are telling Gentiles to live like Jews. Are you crazy? What's happened here? What the text doesn't bring out, but later on in 2 Peter, we know that Peter calls Paul his brother. Peter received the rebuke, but man, it must have hurt. It really must have hurt. Remember last week when I spoke about the wounds of a friend can be trusted? And we spoke about wound, what it is. It's only used three times in the Old Testament. It's always a graphic picture of a festering maggot fly infested wound it's a wound that's open and it's mortal and there's no healing on it that's what Peter needed Peter needed nothing else but this graphic rebuke to show him how serious this hypocrisy is and Paul was the man to do it this was a serious serious time You see, that's how serious the problem was. Hidden love. Hidden love, remember? An open rebuke is better than hidden love. You see, hidden love, Paul could have said, well, it's no big deal. Or, I don't want to offend anybody. Has anybody ever said that? Offended. Listen to me. Their soul is at stake. Offend them. Hidden love does them no good. Simply look into their 
there are times where we have to deal with people in their personalities. We've got to deal with people in their sins. And sometimes you've got to sit there and just tell somebody that's going to be very offensive to them. But guess what? Tell them. Tell them anyway is right. Don't be worrying about if they're, oh, they might not like me anymore. Or, you know, this, this might be a game changer. If it's going to be a genuine friendship, are you with me? Unless you're into the superficial friends, are right? you? like the superficial kind of stuff? Nobody challenges you, you don't challenge them. No one disturbs the apple cart and we sort of just get along with each other. But no one's edified, there's no mutual edification, no one's getting closer to God, no one's becoming like Christ because nobody wants to upset the apple cart. Superficiality has no place in Christian friendships. I got my acquaintances who speak about nonsensical things like golf and other things, I like that, but it always... For me, I'm always waiting for the time I can share Christ with them. It's always my intention. I enjoy their company. I enjoy their fellowship. I don't get caught up in lewd stuff. But when the time comes, I speak to them about Christ. But there are times we have to speak to one another, and it's going to hurt. And you rest assured, we're called to do that. Paul was called to rebuke Peter. Understand something. When God comes into your life and my life and brings something out in a harsh way, do you know why? Because he's been trying to do it in a softer way. But guess who's not listening? Peter wasn't listening. You can rest assured. Peter went through this. Remember when Peter went through this the first time? Remember Peter told Jesus, I'll never deny you. Everybody else is going to deny you. These 11 cats, they'll deny you. But me, I'm Peter. I'm the rock. You're going to build a church on this. And Jesus said, oh yeah. By the end of the night, you're going to deny me three times. See, Peter didn't know his own blind spots. Peter didn't know his own failures. Peter thought more of himself, like last week's sermon, the guy who boasted. Don't boast, let another man praise you. Peter was boasting. Peter thought too highly of himself. Paul had to bring him down to size. Jesus had to bring him down to size. And by the end of the night, guess what? A slave girl, the fear of a slave girl saying, weren't you with him? You speak Galilean. Weren't you with him? And he denied it and he cussed. The Greek says he cussed. And then when Jesus called him out on it, what did he do? Remember the campfire? And he looked through the campfire and he saw the eyes of Christ as he was denying him. He said he ran and he wept bitterly. That's an open rebuke. You can rest assured, after, Peter called, after Paul called Peter out on the carpet at Antioch, you can rest assured he had the same feelings again and he wept bitterly. There is no way Peter took that on the chin like, oh, it's no big deal. That was a crushing, crushing blow to Peter. And it took a man like Paul to do it. Not that Paul was greater than Peter, but there was something greater in Paul's life than hidden love, and it's the truth of the gospel. Nothing should be more important than the truth. And when that truth is being attacked in word or in hypocritical deed, we have to call on each other out. Paul says that in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 against the immoral brother. If there is a so-called brother who's living in sexual sin, don't even fellowship with them. Don't even fellowship with them. 
cast them out to Satan that their soul can be saved and their flesh can be dealt with. You see what happens today when you rebuke one Christian, guess what? They go to the church down the block. I'm not going to Sunship Ministry. They're always telling me not to sin. They're always rebuking me. Every time I go over there, he's telling me something. You get the point, right? People just travel around. They go here. They hide in the back. They hide over there. They go to a different church. They come once a month. They come every week. And they bounce around because they can't stand being challenged in their life. That is the, that's how important it is about church membership. And that we have right now, we have a loose understanding of church membership. Understand something. We know who belongs to Christ and who loves us and who loves this church. And we can speak life into you. We can sit there and say, listen, brother, this, this, is, this has got to go. This is sin or, you know, this, this personality flaw is turning people off. You know, you're thinking, you're talking down to people, you're degrading, you're derogatory, you're speaking in a tone that's it's, it's not Christian-like. We need that with each other. I need that. I need to hear that from my wife. I need to hear it from my, from my brother-in-law. I need to hear from another brother. And I have. One of the greatest lessons I learned as a pastor. And I, always, I, I genuinely love God's people. I genuinely love them. And there was this gentleman. He opened up his house. He had people. Of, we used to have meetings. We had 35 people in his basement. Artie. And then Artie got sick. And Artie went to the hospital. Guess who didn't visit him? Brian. Guess who called me out on it? Artie. He goes, I'm here three days. You love me. You're telling me you love me. You love this. You love that. Where you been? I'm over here. No one's visiting me. I wept bitterly because he was right. He was right. I should have been there and I wasn't. And like Peter, I had to be rebuked for that more than once. We need that. You're going to be a good husband? You're going to be a good wife? You need to be corrected. You're going to be a good pastor? You're going to be a good minister? You need to be corrected. You're going to be a good son, a good daughter? You need to be corrected. You're going to be good friends to each other? You need to be corrected. Do you catch how important this was in Galatians chapter 2? Do you see how important that was? This is no small thing. To read that and not know the history of it. It says so much about God. This is 20 years later. After Peter denied Christ three times. This is 20 years. He's an older man now. He, he's got to be close to 50 years old. 52,000 years ago was old. He's an older man now and he's still fighting the same things. Is anybody still fighting the same things? Isn't it nice to know that God's not through with us? Are we willing to hear something from a friend or a spouse about the same things? Because God still wants to change the same things. He's not going to tell you something. God's not going to stop. If our life, like Peter, is not living up with the message we preach and the message we're saved by, he's going to interrupt our life. He's going to come and get us. And praise God. And here's the thing about it. You never know when it's going to happen. Peter had no idea. While he was hanging out with those Jews in Jerusalem, when he's hanging out with the elitists and he felt comfortable and everything was fine, it was right there that Paul called him out in front of everybody. 
On one side, you got the Antiochian church. On the other side, you got the Jewish elitists from Jerusalem. And there's Paul and Peter right in the middle. And Paul's giving it to Peter, calling him a hypocrite. Your actions aren't in line with the gospel. The rest is history. God was patient with Peter. We should be patient with one another. That's the first application. When it comes to dealing with these things, Paul never got emotional. Like, you're doing this to me. Or he didn't even say, like, this is my church. I founded this church. I poured my heart into this church for 15 years. I was the pastor over here. I'm the one who fathered them. I'm the one who wiped their nose. I'm the one who took care of them. I'm the one who fed them the gospel. I labored over them with Barnabas for almost 15 years until Christ reformed in them. And now you come out of nowhere and you mess up all my work? No, that wasn't his response. He could have said that. But he said, you weren't straightforward with the gospel. There's something over your feelings and something over your emotions and something over your personal things that stands above us all. And it's the truth of the gospel. Paul didn't take offense. He probably wasn't happy about it. But you can offend me. And you can still go to heaven. You start offending God and living contrary to the gospel. You're going to damn a lot of people. It is important. Please hear that. Don't be coming to church and singing songs. Don't be coming to church and reading your Bibles and living contrary to the truth. Because like Barnabas and the rest of them, you're going to lead a lot of people astray. Don't you remember Jesus said that? He said that about the Pharisees. He told his disciples, he looked at the disciples and says, do what they say, but don't do what they do. They seated themselves in the seat of Moses, telling you what to do, but they don't lift a finger to do it. Second application. A strategic rebuke. Strategic. This kind of correction is usually, like I said, the end of a long list of God trying to get our attention over something that needs to be changed. It's God's last resort. Open rebuke. It's very humiliating. Really think how humiliated Peter was. Think about it. He must have shrunk. As Paul told him. This text does not give us a license to go around rebuking everybody. You know, brother, I don't like the way your sneakers are. I don't like the way your hair looks. I don't like the way you smell. I don't like the way you're doing this. I don't like the way your cologne. I've heard everything I just said. I've heard that. Well, you know, Pastor, you know, they're wearing sneakers. I'm at the front. That's better than no shoes at all. Well, you know, their hair was too long or it was this and that. And it's all of a sudden people think they can go around correcting everything. Any thought they get, they can rebuke somebody. See, something bigger has to be at stake than our personal feelings. This wasn't about Paul and his personal feelings about the ministry he began. This is about Christ. This is about salvation. This is about the glory of God. 
Once you start adding an additive like circumcision, there's no glory to Christ anymore. Because if a man can be saved by the law, then Christ died for nothing, Paul says. You cannot add anything to the gospel. If you're in a church and you hear anything other than salvation, full and free in Christ, if they tell you you need to do anything, get out of that church. Get out. But there are times when we have to strategically rebuke somebody and realize that someone's behavior just might not be in line with the gospel of love. That's very important. That's very important that our life line up with the gospel of love. I'm preaching love. I'm preaching Christ. Two commandments. Love God, love others. And if we're not living up to that, guess what? We need to hear someone say, you need to get right in this area. This was a painful, painful wound for Peter. I'm sure he suffered a lot of shame from it. But like I said, when others' lives and salvation or even their sanctification is at stake, we need to stand up and say something. I was at a a men's meeting once. I was a young believer. God was doing great things with me. I I, I felt the power of sanctification. I felt the power of, of, of living for the Lord. You know, my, God taught me to keep my eyes in my head. He taught me how to overcome lust, how to overcome these things and to live in victory. And I was enjoying it. And I was at a men's meeting one day and, and there were a bunch of about 10 brothers. And one brother was pouring out his heart saying, I'm struggling in this area of my life. And I'm like, yeah, but I'm saying to myself, God can help you. And the leader of the church, the leader of the meeting said, we all struggle. That was the wrong thing to say. You can say you struggle, but not everybody struggles. And you don't point to Paul to overcome a weakness. You point to Christ. If someone's struggling, you don't say, well, even Paul struggled. And say Paul did things he didn't want to do. You point to Christ. Forgiveness is in Christ. Strength is in Christ, not in Paul. What that man did to that other young man that day was saying, well, you're going to struggle with that the rest of your life. See, I was young and believed that. I should have stood up and said, no, that's not true. There's a way of overcoming that. You give your life fully to God. And you watch what God can do for you. We have to be able to speak up when what someone is saying is going to interrupt someone's salvation or sanctification. If you don't have anything good to say, then you don't say nothing at all. You don't make someone feel comfortable by saying, well, you know, Paul struggled, we all struggle. No. No, God didn't come here and die so we would just get by and struggle. Please hear me. If you're here today, I don't know what you're going through. Jesus didn't come and die so we would just get by and get to heaven. We can walk into the lion's den. We can walk into the fire and not even smell like it. We encourage each other to do it. And we point each other to Christ. Christ is the answer. But also, how would you like your dirty laundry or your failures to be in the most famous book ever written. How would you like it? Peter's great failure is there for everybody to read for 2,000 years. Think about it. Did you ever think about that? Peter wouldn't mind, though. Because that's an object lesson for the church. And that's what church discipline is. Matthew 16. Church discipline is not just for the restoration of the individual. It's for the strength of the church. 
Church discipline is serious. But church discipline has changed a little bit because people just run to other churches. They don't sit there and take the heat. And say, where, where, where is so-and-so going? Where is so-and-so? And I'll tell you the truth, I don't know. I spoke to him once, they never came back. I can't even tell you. But you, get, you, you understand, right? Church discipline is important. Paul just exercised church discipline. And like I said, and I'll close with this. Like my friend Michael, when I gave him those harsh words that I couldn't hang out with him anymore. But eventually he came to Christ. And now he's walking solidly with Christ. Peter, in 2 Peter chapter 3, spoke about Paul as our dear brother. There was definitely a friendship between Paul and Peter. And Peter, without a doubt, recognized who Paul was. And how Paul spoke to him on that day. And he received what Paul had to say. And how important that was. And so should we. When it comes to hidden love, we all have to make that choice. When we see something wrong in our brother and sister, when we see something wrong in our spouse, when we see something wrong with somebody we, we genuinely care for and love, do we say this, well, I don't want to offend anybody? Because that's hidden love. It does nobody good. Or do we go to Christ and ask for strength to, to give him an open rebuke and say, listen, I got to tell you this. So-and-so is wrong in your life. And you got to get right. Father, we come before you. We thank you, Lord. As you teach us that an open rebuke between friends is greater than hidden love, Father God. Because it's generally the open rebuke that reveals to us those things in our character that need to change. And God, I for one with the rest of the church, we want to change. We want to be more like Christ, Father. And God, we want the soft blow. We don't want to have to learn the hard way as Peter learned the hard way, Father God. And Lord, so I, I pray for sonship ministries. I pray that we are a church that just doesn't grow closer to you, but at the same time we grow closer to one another. And you use each other to speak the truth in love, building each other up, Father God, in our most holy faith, Father God. Encouraging, instructing, uh, rebuking if necessary, correcting if necessary, those strategic times, Father God, when you're putting it on our heart, when we recognize something that's not in line with the truth of the gospel, Father God. Thank you for the barometer. Thank you for the plumb line of the gospel of Jesus Christ, Father God, that informs us of what the truth is and how to live for you, Father. Help us in this area, Father God. Help us, Father God, to be true biblical friends, brothers and sisters to each other. In Jesus' precious name.